Today on the T21 Mom podcast, we have one of our most popular guests back once again, toilet training specialist, Dr. Katie Renald. Welcome back, Katie. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here again. Um, yeah, I feel honored to be a repeat guest. I think this is my fourth time. It, but I it, have connected with so many people because of your podcast. So I'm so happy to be back again. Oh, that's awesome. Yes. Whenever I'm in all the different forums, I always tell people contact Katie. <laughs> she, she can probably solve your issue. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. You're my agent, Mary. You've got me a lot of a connection. So I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll expect your bill, but anyway, thank you. No, it's awesome. You're, you're very connected to the community. So kind of being connected to you connects me to the community, which is really cool. So I, I appreciate being able to um, reach lots of families through T21 mom. It's awesome. That's wonderful. So I know in your previous three episodes, we've covered a lot, uh, including the rapid toileting, which was your first episode. Mm -hmm. Then we did toileting for uh, for older kids, and then one episode where you answered a number of various questions from different listener that different that listeners had. Like I, I asked a lot of questions in different forums, and then people got back to me with what they wanted to know. Now, as you were just saying, yeah, I know you're seeing a lot of kids in your practice with Down syndrome, and we were chatting about some of the issues that you most commonly see in our kids. So one of the things that I read about all the time is where do I start? Like, this is so such a loaded question, but what do you tell parents? Cause I see this all the time. Like people are saying, well, how do I know that they're ready or what do I do? Yeah, it is. It's such a good question. I mean, I definitely hear a lot. How do you know that, that they're ready? And that's, I think, I think we might've covered that previously, but it is something that comes up a lot. And it's just the, the, one of the main things I always want to tell people is when you sort of Google it, or you're, you're looking up information, how do I know if my child's ready for toilet training? A lot of what you'll find is not true. I mean, there's no research to support the idea, for example, that a kid really needs to be uncomfortable in, in soiled diapers before you start toilet training. That's a big one you'll see. Um, is the child already, you know, not liking the feeling of a, a soiled or wet diaper? Is the child um, interested in using the toilet and will ask about it or want to sit on it on their own or be really curious about it? Those are the kind of things you often will see. Like if you just ask Dr. Google, what you should do. Um, and so families of kids with Down syndrome are, are often like, well, my kid's not doing that. They don't, they don't care if they're in a soiled diaper. They're not mm. interested in the toilet. They're not telling me of their own accord that they're ready and they want to do this. Um, and so it can be really discouraging because it's like, well, where else do I look? What else do I do? Um, so a lot of determining readiness is really like the real variables are like, how ready are you? How ready are you to do this? Um, to take it on and really focus on toileting. Like, can toileting be uh, a priority for you for a while? Um, and then there's there's some other, I mean, there's some parent instinct that goes into it around whether your child's ready. Um, so, you know, if they just say started speech therapy and you've got an awesome new speech pathologist and you're seeing huge kind of gains all the time, like, you know, when you, you click with the right professional and like, my kid is getting communication in a way they never did. Well, then you might wait a bit on toilet training because they might be more ready in a couple months. So readiness is, you got to look at the whole picture of your kid. And ultimately when they seem ready and you feel ready, that's the time. Um, 
so yeah, but in terms of what you actually do, which is also a great question, because yeah, you were saying you, you see parents saying, well, where do I start? Like, what are the steps here? What path do I follow? I mean, it's another thing where you might you might Google and find bad information. Um, unfortunately, geez, there's so many things, parenting, right? Um, but for kids with Down syndrome, I think what you'll see online often in terms of how to start is stuff like, well, you know, just have them sit on the toilet and try it out. Do that a few times per day. Uh, make sure that they'll sit comfortably. It, eventually, they'll start peeing or pooping. And I find that's not it often. So I mean, kids with Down syndrome can often be, and I mean, I'm talking generally, so not everybody, of course, mm -hmm. um, but can be really routine oriented, right? So mm -hmm. having them sit on the toilet frequently for a few minutes without actually peeing or pooping can be really confusing for them. So they start to expect that's, that's what the toilet is for. You sit on it for a minute and then you leave and your parent goes, good, cool, good sitting. And you get on with your day. Um, so then later on, when you want them to actually pee or poop in the toilet, because I find often they don't just start peeing or pooping from, from sitting on the toilet frequently, um, they're, they're confused. They don't know what you want. They, they're frustrated. They're doing mm -hmm. what they've been taught to do, right? So you've kind of almost taught them inadvertently the, the wrong thing. Like you're not teaching them <laughs> to actually pee or poop. You're just teaching them to sit, which is so hard. So anyway, I, I usually suggest for starting, like for first step, getting ready. Here we go. Are we going to do this toileting thing or not? Um, I'd suggest you actually pick a time they actually are likely to need to pee or poop um, and do what you can to have them sit there on the toilet until they, they do something, until they pee or poop in the toilet. So I know that a lot of people are probably listening and going, okay, good luck, like getting my kid <laughs> to sit that long or what, what do you mean? Like, this sounds nuts. But um, the point is getting them to learn that this is what the toilet is for. We sit mm -hmm. here until something happens. <laughs> That's yeah. the, the ultimate goal, right? Mm -hmm. um, so of course, like I'm not saying they must sit no matter what. They can have breaks to stretch and move. And I don't mean like sit and stare at the wall. They could sit with like an adult engaging with them if that's what they like. They could listen to music. They could play on an iPad. They make the toilet fun, make it a party, make it a happy place, but wait for them to actually pee or poop before they get off. Um, and I mean, again, within reason, right? If they're super mm -hmm. uncomfortable or unhappy, they don't have to stay. You might have to do more work around desensitizing them to the toilet first. But this is the, this is the message we want to send is, you know, you when you're on the toilet, it's to pee or poop. Um, and so the morning right when they wake up can be a good time to do this. But depending on your family and your life and your schedule, like mm -hmm. some kids are up really early. And maybe, you know, if you're a two parent house, you have an extra parent home at that time who could sit in the bathroom while the other one does all the school and work prep stuff. Or maybe in your house, it, that's after dinner. That's a good time when you, you, you could get extra hands or you could commit the time to, you know, having up to an hour to, to work on this. But I would suggest, yeah, picking a time you, you think their bladder's kind of full. They, so either they maybe they just woke up and you catch that first pee of the morning or they've just had dinner and lots to drink. There's a like, high likelihood they'll pee. Anyway, picking a time is a really good idea. Um, but then from there, I mean, what you do next, because that's, that's not it. Like, it's not usually a matter of just getting a few peas in the toilet and you're done. Um, you need a framework, right, to follow up a, a plan. So there's a couple ways to play it. Um, usually, and we've talked before about a rapid toileting method, mm -hmm. and there's sort of a long way. 
So those are the two main things to choose between is can I totally focus on toileting for like, you know, a week or so, and we can really immerse our child in this and work on this at home. Or do we want to take this a little bit slower and work on it still a lot, but over the course of many weeks, but they can still focus on other activities as well. So um, at the, you know, so this podcast isn't like six hours long, I will point you to a resource. And I think since I was last on, we revamped and re-recorded these videos I'll refer to. So on the website for autism community training, um, you can see uh, Dr. Pat Miranda and I talking about the long way and the short way. And I'm sure Mary, you can link that mm -hmm. for people. Um, yep. But it really like those videos are and our, re our revamped version is super detailed. It really explains the ins and outs of the long and short method. Um, and if you, um, yeah, watch them, I think you'll be able to choose. You'll have a good sense of what would work well for your kid, what's doable for your family um, and that sort of thing. And yeah, I, I think that's, that's probably the best resource I can, I can point people to that's going to be appropriate for kids with Down syndrome, although it's on the autism community training site. When we um, put that together, we definitely had a view to sort of um, all kids with developmental disabilities, not just autism, like it's really okay. not tuned just to kids with autism. So I think if you have a kids with Down syndrome, you'll find um, that info is, is really applicable. So yeah, I'll make sure to send you that updated link so you can pass it on for sure. Okay, that would be fabulous. So would it be like the methods that you were just talking about? Mm -hmm. Would it be any different for kids like, for example, Ainsley, she has a dual diagnosis of autism or mm -hmm. kids who are nonverbal. Like someone said, my child is nonverbal and has few or not no signs. Mm -hmm. What can they do? Would it be just the same what you were talking about? Yeah, or that's a yeah, more good involved? question. Yeah, I think that, I mean, if kids are nonverbal, th those methods are still going to be applicable for sure. Um, and I think that yeah the way that we describe them in those videos it, it's like we talk so much about if this happens try this if that happens try that so it's kind of different scenarios and we give lots of examples of kids that we've worked with and all that sort of thing so that would help you sort out you know where your kid is in the sort of map of toileting and what's going to make sense but yeah the methods are generally going to be the same or very similar it's more like when your kid is nonverbal and and doesn't have another reliable communication method beyond like a vocal response, um, then it's, it's more the outcomes that are different. So when kids are, you know, readily communicating with whatever modality they might use, sign or pecs or an augmentative communication device or speech or whatever, if they're able to do that, then there's a really high likelihood at the end of your toileting journey, they will tell you they need to go pee or poop in whatever way they do and get to the bathroom. So you you don't have to, you know, keep a timer. You don't have to manage it too much. But when kids don't have a reliable communication method, there's a pretty high likelihood that they'll end their toileting journey, at least the initial parts of it, um, in like a trip trained or time trained phase, right? So that's like when, yes, they will totally go to the bathroom and pee or poop. They will keep their underwear clean and dry as long as someone reminds them to go. So usually it's like, you know, every two hours or it might be 30 minutes after they finish a water bottle or like you'd find out what that that line is when you're actually working with them on toileting. Um, and most families who have kids or teens or young adults who are nonverbal, 
they're usually the, the family and the learner is happy with that outcome. It seems for, for a while, I find mm -hmm. with most families that I work with, cause it's manageable and you can go out and you can do stuff and you're not doing diapers anymore. Mm -hmm. Yay. Right. Um, mm -hmm. but I mean, a lot of learners too, will at home, they'll just go in the bathroom on their own and do it. They don't bring anybody. So they don't need to tell anybody they need to go and they'll start doing that pretty naturally. But when you're out and about, they, they can't, they don't have the, the a way to tell you, hey, I need to go, where's the bathroom? So you might be taking them on a time training then. So I guess I want to say, yes, you can totally have success. It's sort of what's your definition of toilet trained, I guess, is the question, right? So mm -hmm. if you're happy with your child being able to stay dry with reminders, which a lot of people are mm -hmm. awesome. If you want them to communicate a way to you in a way that they need to get to the bathroom, then strengthening their their requesting skills across the board is usually necessary because I, I sometimes say like requesting to use a bathroom is like varsity level requesting it's if they're not already telling you I want a drink I want my favorite book can you put on my favorite show then to tell you they want to go to the bathroom is a, quite a bit more complex like it's mm -hmm. just a more complex state to convey to, to somebody and they're usually not as motivated as they are for something like my favorite food my favorite drink my favorite show so um i would say what we very often see too is if a child is in sort of a trip trained phase but then get some awesome communication skills developing it will totally transfer over to toileting so long answer but it's complicated <laughs> is basically the so I don't know. I mean, there it's it's complicated and it's so different kid by kid. But I don't. Mm -hmm. I, I guess my bottom line is I don't want people to think, well, my kid's not got a reliable method of communication. They can't be successful with toileting. They totally can. Mm -hmm. They totally can get to a state where they're no longer relying on diapers and don't need them at all. Um, but they're not necessarily communicating that they need to go. That might happen a little bit later. But I don't want that to delay people trying to work on toileting. Yeah, mm -hmm. I guess that's. That's the point of, yeah, what I'm trying to make there. Well, and Ainsley, like I, for a long time was okay with just taking her cause she, you know, sometimes had a bladder of steel where she could go several hours without yeah. having to pee. And, you know, cause I felt confident that we could go out, you know, and, but I realized, you know, before transitions, I would always take her. Like if we're mm -hmm. right before we leave, we go and then, you know, and she was, she did awesome. And it's really been only probably in the last year or so that she's been fairly consistent in telling me that she has to go, but then sometimes to actually get her like physically to the bathroom, she doesn't want to go. But anyways, but mm. you know, like you said, I was totally okay with her with just kind of, I guess, being the trip trained, but because she was yeah. staying dry. And like you said, no more diapers, no more pull-ups. It's awesome. And no more copious amounts of laundry because, yeah, you know, so which for me was awesome. And I, I would think for a lot of parents, like that's the first goal is like, let's just get out of diapers and pull-ups and, and move on and, and for your child to stay dry. Cause that's, that's huge, a huge, huge yeah, step. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think that those 
like you're saying, those, those reminders to go before you leave the house or, you know, you're not going to be around a bathroom for a while. Like that's a pretty typical state for any kind of young kid or newly mm-hmm. toilet trained person, right? Of course, you're going to say, hey, we're going to be in the car for half an hour. Let's all try to pee before we go. Like yeah. we do that for ourselves too, right? So I think that's cool. Yeah, with Ainsley, it was pretty organic over time that she would start telling you like just Mm -hmm. as her communication grew so yeah that's good to know for you it it feels like okay hey the laundry's going down I'm happy that is a huge part of it for sure yeah yeah Yeah. so there's there's so much possibility with toileting no matter where where your kid is with with communication for sure Mm -hmm. Um, well that's yeah I think that's a good point yeah and I think parents will be happy to hear that because this kind of goes to my next question which you know, as I said, I've, I posted on a few forums looking for different questions. And one mm-hmm. mom told me that she has adopted several kids with Down syndrome and has toilet trained many of them. I think she said she had eight kids. Oh. One was a bio child and she tra- toilet trained many of them, but she has three of her kids are severely, severely affected, she said, by mm-hmm. ASD and FAS, which is fetal alcohol mm-hmm. syndrome, and their ages are 13, 15, and 23. What are your, your thoughts on this scenario? And I, I realize this is not just a simple answer, but maybe if you can direct her, like maybe should she go watch those videos? Or, I mean, I know you have told me previously that you feel that all people with with disabilities can be toilet trained barring any underlying medical condition. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. That is a complicated (laughs) scenario, but I totally, I mean, I think one crucial piece is no one's ever too old to be Mm -hmm. successful with toileting too. So I often, when I'm talking like this with you, I'll say, Oh, kids or people's kids. But what I mean, I guess is, you know, I think I'll still call my son, my kid when he's like 50. So, (laughs) you know, our kids, um, like they, they can be adults. Right. So Mm -hmm. like we work with um, young adults in our practice pretty often and who are able to be successful with toileting. So even like this, this mom who's talking about having, you know, 13, 15, 23 year old, it's just so important. If you're going to be the person helping that you have the mentality, this is possible because the research says it's possible. We see it in practice all the time. There's no age limit on success with toileting for sure. I, th- I think a lot of people think, you know, once they're maybe 12 or 13 or 18 or whatever, the ship has sailed, they're not going to be successful. But thankfully, I mean, it's not, it's not true at all. They can totally be successful. So I do think that those videos are a good resource, regardless of um, who you are. I would say a lot of um, what I've done in work since COVID um, has been more coaching parents like through Zoom and that sort of thing. I used to do just a little bit of that in my practice and now a lot because I think a lot of people, bless you all out there who are so ambitious about toileting while you're like in lockdown or stuck at home with your kids thinking, all right, this is it. I mean, we're home, therapy's canceled, school's canceled, here we go. I ended up doing yet lots of Zoom coaching over COVID of parents who were, especially parents of young adults who'd gone just, you know, you know, when your kids get a little older and they get into lots of rec opportunities or they have after school, you've got them in, you know, they're horseback riding after school, they're at a good school program, but you never felt like you had a good chunk of time at home to work on toileting. A lot of parents I worked with did use um, like those videos and then they would also want a little coaching from me on top of it. Cause definitely when you, when we're working with older kids, it can be more complicated. So the videos might not be enough. You might go, yeah, but my kid also does this or uh, I 
don't know if he would respond to that part. So how can I, so I would zoom them, you know, just once or twice and help them tweak it a little bit so they could have success. So um, the ultimate message is it's possible. Remember it's possible, be positive, it's possible. Um, that's the biggest thing I think with, with working with, with teens and young adults and older kids for sure. And even with kids with other severe uh, disabilities? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, certainly. I mean, yeah, kids, yeah, with autism, yeah, fetal alcohol syndrome, um, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, definitely. Yeah, there, there's research that says it's possible and totally something I see in my practice a lot. So um, yeah, any kind of variation of complexity, there should be something out there to help with toileting. So okay, yes, I'm sure she'll be doable. very happy to hear that. So, yeah. you know, but I mean, sounds like she's got a lot of gumption if she's toilet trained, sounds like five other kids with down syndrome. i mean yeah like i'm tired thinking about it so she i don't know how much of a pep talk she needs but anyway um okay. yeah <laughs> she, she can give us a pep talk right okay. that's amazing um okay. yeah so one common trait amongst all our kids is the various degrees of low tone like for example ainsley is very low tone uh how does this affect our kids when toilet training and what can we do to help them? Um, yeah, I mean, low tone is, yeah, it's, it's such a common issue. And I, I, I think one thing that makes it tricky is like, I heard from a mom recently who had a kid with Down syndrome with low tone. And she, she said something to me like, you know, I've, I've never known how to move forward, like how to, how to go at teaching toileting because every approach I read about suggests that it's so important for kids to have really strong body awareness before you start. And, and her son just didn't have it. So she was, she was saying, you know, he never seemed to notice he's about to pee or poop. Like he would stand, they tried like a naked from the waist down thing. A lot of people try that at first. Mm -hmm. So he'd be standing in the living room and just pee and look like he didn't even notice or bend over and pee that sort of thing. So she was kind of like, how do I do this? He's got no awareness. And everything I read is telling me awareness is, is one of those, it's one of those false prerequisites I mentioned earlier really um so anyway yeah it's an interesting thing with low tone is it can really interfere with how the the individual um experiences the feeling of, of fullness in their bladder so like most people we start getting a message to our brain so if you had like a typical degree of, of tone um the message to your brain that you really have to pee when your bladder is not that full at all like under 50 percent full that's when your brain starts telling you get to the bathroom you really have to pee um, but a person with low tone, they might not get that message until their bladder is actually really full, like maybe even 80%, 90% or something. So the way that can present when you're working on toileting is maybe you're, you know, you're asking your kid to try to pee and they're, they're really insistent they don't have to go, but their bladder is actually 50% full or more at that time, but they don't feel it at all. And so, the, the, yeah, they don't feel anything and they've told you they don't have to pee and then they squat down to play or bend over to grab something and then they have a big, big leak of pee because their bladder actually <laughs> was full. So it's so frustrating, right, for them and for you. Like you, as a parent, you're like, you just said you didn't have to go. <laughs> what <laughs> happened, right? Like you can, your natural response is what is going on? Like you kind of, yeah, it's just it's so frustrating as a parent and for the kid, like often when I work with kids with Down syndrome, we have this issue. I, I can see on their face that they're kind of like, huh, what's going on? Like they're, they're surprised by it too, right? Mm -hmm. So it is really important to keep in mind that they can be successful, but, but know that some of those frustrating moments are because of the tone. Like it looks 
it, it looks like it's intentional. And as a parent, right, you're just like, mm -hmm. oh, you're messing with me, kid. Um, and there could be moments of that, but that's, you know, 99% of the time, not what's happening. So the best person to consult with your, if your kid has low tone and you're seeing things like what I just described, like these kind of strange leaks out of nowhere, um, seeing a physiotherapist who has some pediatric uh, pelvic floor training is an awesome resource. Um, so they they need to, the, the child or the learner in this situation needs to learn how to constrict those muscles um, and general um, sort of exercises they can do around detecting fullness in their bladder. Um, so a pediatric uh, pelvic floor physio is awesome for, for this. Um, and there, it's a specialized sort of training, like not all physios have it or can do it. So um, if you contact a physio that, that doesn't, they can usually tell you someone who does and who would be effective um, in working with your kid if they have this issue. So it totally can play in, but I do, and I, I do see kids overcome this and become successful. Mm -hmm. It can actually often look like that sort of time training or trip training thing for a little while too, mm -hmm. um, while they're learning to detect the feeling of fullness in their bladder better and, and working on things with the physio, um, they might for a while go, okay, no matter what, we're just going to do every hour, try really hard to pee and kind of not take no for an answer and insist they pee for, for <laughs> I mean, lack of a better, faster, that's a fast explanation, but um, motivating them to try to pee more frequently because they're, they can't reliably detect the feeling of, of mm -hmm. fullness in their bladder. So yeah, I think it's, it's tricky. It's tricky. I mean, it's, it definitely plays in and it makes issues complicated. We mm -hmm. often on our team, cause we work mostly on the behavioral side of toileting and kind of learning how to do it, what to do, when to do it. Um, so the physical side, we often do work closely with, with physiotherapists to collaborate on, okay, how do we, how do we explain these, you know, what we want this child to practice and do in terms of exercises in a way that's going to make sense to them when they maybe don't have language skills or very limited language skills. How can we behaviorally kind of convey to them the sort of squat or clench that we want them to do? So it can be a really interesting kind of multidisciplinary collaboration that needs to go mm -hmm. on to make this happen, but, but it does happen um, and it can happen. Mm -hmm. um, but if you, if you notice your kid is having these phantom tricky leaks the physio is your your best bet of someone who will who will be able to direct you and, and help you with that for sure okay that's good to know because i know that was a question that i had that had come up a few people had asked about the pelvic floor therapy i hadn't really heard too much about it before so that's good to know mm -hmm. that you can do it through a physio and it did take ainsley a, a little while to finally realize like truly that you know she had to had to go and even now it sometimes you know she'll sit on the toilet and but i have to kind of wait her out a little bit because yeah. i know like it's first thing in the morning i know she has to go but it sometimes right. takes a good couple of minutes and then you know so yeah but she but yeah just to it did take a little bit for her to kind of get that awareness and i think you know, like you're saying, so I don't think it's going to necessarily come right away. Mm -hmm. But I think once the kids, you know, they get the idea that they're, you know, they're going to the bathroom, they're staying dry, and it's regular, then they kind of get that, you know, yeah. feeling that, oh, yeah, okay, this is what it feels like that I need to go. So totally. Yeah, no, that's how it can play out for sure. Yeah, exactly. 
give people give parents hope it can happen yeah. it truly can happen yeah <laughs> and i know a lot of our kids uh with down syndrome they suffer from constipation and they use miralax mm -hmm. how does miralax affect toilet training and is it okay to be on it and can kids get off of it yeah that's a great a great question and uh, it's a tricky one i mean in terms of is it okay to be on it i mean most vast majority of families that i work with who have a kid on miralax or restorelax or one of those laxatives um it's because their doctor or primary care provider said look just do a daily dose of this it's it's going to help and so i mean if your doctor told you to do it i'm not telling you you shouldn't mm -hmm. do it so bottom yeah. line your medical advice from your medical provider is good advice i'm sure um so is it okay to be on it i mean if they said so sure but those things are usually not designed for long-term use. And that's often how they end up needing to be used. Um, but I don't think people should, parents should feel any, you know, shame or real worry or pressure to get off of it if the doctor prescribed it. Cause I mean, of course it's great if you can sort of treat constipation in a dietary way. So if your child could drink more water and have more fiber in their diet and eat lots of fruit and all those sorts of things and wouldn't be constipated, that would be awesome. But probably if your doctor told you to do Miralax every day, they know that that's a, that's a challenge with your kid. Like a mm -hmm. lot of kids with Down syndrome also struggle with feeding and food selectivity and digestion and chewing. And there's so many things that can factor into. Um, so Miralax can be the best solution. Um, and it, it doesn't necessarily mess with toileting at all. I mean, it's in terms of them being able to learn um, to control their bowel movements and that sort of thing. If you're if they're pooping all day uncontrollably, they're on too much Miralax, right? So there's dosage <laughs> issues, right? So mm -hmm. that could affect toileting for sure. But and, and getting the dose right of something like that can be challenging and something to work with your primary care provider on for sure. But yeah, it's not we work with lots of kids who are on a laxative daily for quite some time and they can still totally learn to, to use the toilet effectively, be in underwear and all that sort of thing. So it doesn't necessarily affect their ability to learn. And in terms of whether they can get off of it, yeah, I mean, we see lots of kids get off of it, which is, is great. Um, mm -hmm. Often they're not they like when kids get on Miralax or something it's part of it is that they're they're trying not to poop all the time so they might have some fear they're trying to hold in poop and it's making their constipation situation worse um so often with a little teaching around toileting and becoming more confident about peeing in the toilet and starting to poop in the toilet the need for Miralax can go way down and they can get off of it because they're not fighting poop anymore, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. They've learned, mm -hmm. ah, toilet's no big deal. I pee in here, good stuff happens. Everybody's excited, I get prizes, cool, I'll poop in here too. So we do see that happen often. <laughs> um, but getting off of it is not, it can be a long-term project too. And getting off of it cold turkey is never a good idea. Again, that's something to work with your doctor on. And should you gradually decrease the dose or should you start skipping a dose? What's the best way to get off of it for your kid in your situation? Um, but no, they're not gonna be on it forever it's possible um, to get off of it and just do so with your doctor's advice is what I would suggest for sure. So if your child does suffer from constipation, is there a different way to toilet train them or would you follow the same things that you do yeah. normally? Yeah, great, great question. I think, 
definitely if the child has chronic constipation, not like, you know, once every four months, I'm talking like pretty regularly constipation's an issue. Like every week you're kind of going, oh, when did they last poop? Did we skip a day? Did we skip two days? Uh-oh. Then you definitely want to use a little extra TLC with your toileting for sure. Cause you never want to worsen constipation in any way. And many kids who, who even have no history of constipation, when you get started on toilet training, they're going to hold their poop for a day or two. So it, it feels weird. It feels weird. Where's my diaper? I want to poop in the diaper especially if you're doing kind of an all day, like more intensive toileting. Um, a lot of kids are going to hold their poop, say, until the diaper goes on at bedtime or whatever. That's totally normal. We expect it. We see it. But th that said, I mean, the tendency of many kids that we work with to hold poop means if your child does have a history of constipation, ooh, you don't want them already a little constipated when you start and then trying to hold their poop for a day or two. And then you, you can make the situation worse. So and one thing, one of the main things you can do for sure when you start toileting is just making sure they have soft stool. So this kind of goes back to the Miralax thing. So for some kids, you again, you can do this with dietary management, power to you if you can do it, wonderful. Making <laughs> sure they have lots of fluid, lots of fiber-rich foods, that's great. But many kids, right, limited diet, something like that, they're going to need a little medical intervention of some kind to, to uh, make sure their stool is soft when you're starting your toilet training plan. So if you're, yeah, talk to your doctor or primary care provider about it. So they, they might recommend something like Restorelax or Miralax, but those, they're not, they don't work for everybody. You, you might, your child might do better on something like Senna Leaf, which is a more natural um, laxative, or um, some kids actually do better with like a suppository or uh, yeah, glycerin suppository, that sort of thing. So talking to your doctor about how are we going to make sure the stool is soft is a really good idea before you, you know, really go into toilet training. Um, because you, you might, you might exacerbate the constipation problem. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the thing is, I mean, if, if your child is really like the, you, you think you kind of have a hunch when you get going with toileting that oh, this, I just don't want to make their constipation worse. So what I'm going to do is um, work on pee training. And then at the end of the day, when they get their diaper on to go to bed, cause that is something kind of touching on, but I always recommend is just, just leave nighttime alone for a while, mm -hmm. work on daytime mm -hmm. only. So if you find your kid is regularly waiting for their nighttime diaper to poop, I, for a while, I might go fine. As long as you're getting the poop out of your body, your constipation's not getting any worse. You can totally poop in the diaper. Let's leave that alone for now. And that's, that's totally okay because in a lot of kids, and this is where parental instinct comes in, you know, if I pushed on this a little too hard, I could, I could make this constipation situation worse. worse right. Yeah. So we, yeah, we don't want to do that. Um, but that said, you can always come back to it later. That's totally fine. And you might find your kid just starts pooping in the toilet. Once they're really awesome at peeing on the toilet, it becomes totally no big deal. We see that often. They just go, okay, you know what? I poop on the toilet too now and I'm fine with it. So that, that it might, the problem might solve itself. Um, but one thing I, I, I got away from myself there, I wanted to say about what the, um, if your, your doctor or your primary care provider suggests something to soften stool, that's just one piece of the puzzle of addressing constipation. So there's mm -hmm. the medical side, and then there's a pretty complex physiological and behavioral side that goes into pooping too. So um, often, yeah, if you see your doctor, they'll go, okay, here's a laxative, this should help. And parents will say to me, but now what do I what do I do? So they're still not wanting to poop in the toilet. How do I make this happen? 
or they're still waiting for their diaper and I want to push to the next phase now, but how can I do that kind of gently? Um, so there's a few angles we need to look at it from, right? Like, is the toilet comfortable? Is their body positioned really optimally for pooping? Like if you have an occupational therapist, you might go, hey, look at our set mm -hmm. up here. What can I do? They can help you with things. And a physiotherapist can too. There's some overlap in kind of how they would help you. Um, so you could ask either of those people, if you have one on your kid's team, an OT or a PT, um, they might tell you things like, okay, I really think for your kid, their, their knees should be more elevated, like more of a squatting position. That's really going to help. Or uh, they might like um, some handles to hold on to while they poop. Cause I noticed they really bear down when they're pooping in their diaper and squatting. So how can we rig up this toilet? Um, and then motivation is huge. So how can we motivate them to sit there long enough to poop? How can we help them learn to push a little bit? And then mm -hmm. how can we motivate them to actually produce poop? So we actually, because this issue was so um, prevalent and came up in our practice a lot, uh, we do have an online course now for parents. Um, it's called Poop Training 101. It's connected okay. to our website, which I'll link later, but um, <laughs> tell you the link to later. It's a good, like, it's just uh okay how do i come at this from every angle to give my kid the best chance of success so i would say that course is for people who um have kids who are constipated or mm -hmm. aren't constipated but just won't poop in the toilet can't poop in the toilet don't understand um or yeah any any poop issues i would say i just i made it because I made that course because I was very frequently like repeating similar information on Zoom. I found myself kind of going, because <laughs> there's nothing, I, I with some things I can go, oh, here's a book, here's a video, here's another resource that's really going to break this down for you. But this, I couldn't find anything I could okay. go, here's a good collection of info. Um, so I was like, I'm just going to put this all together and it's just more time and cost effective than me repeating very similar information many times on mm -hmm. zoom it's like here it is look at this and then we can talk um so i found it to be a really good tool because these issues are so prevalent like poop issues a constipation with kids with down syndrome um is huge and can mm -hmm. be it's something you're kind of dealing with for a long time like kind of you know you, you tackle it and then they have you know you go away on a trip and they yeah try to hold it for a couple of days and then they end up having a sort of painful poop because they've held it. Oh, then you're back. You need your strategies back again. Right. So just having like a, a toolkit for how to address poop issues, I, I think is huge, really important. So I think the course is really, really helpful for that. Um, I've had pretty good feedback on it because people are if they're like, what do I do? Where do I go? And it's nice to have some somewhere to point them for sure. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Yeah. And so one woman wrote that her son was toilet trained at home but she was so mm -hmm. worried about him having an accident outside of the home that he wears pull-ups i know mm -hmm. that you're against this because i remember us having this discussion when ainsley <laughs> was training uh but what are some strategies for consistency across all environments i'm thinking you have to just suck it up and wear the underwear and deal with it yeah yeah basically sorry <laughs> it's so funny you're like oh yeah i know you're against this katie i already campaigned against it for you yeah for <laughs> i think um it's really hard because i it's funny like we all have our own at like the parent dealing with it we all have our own angles of social anxiety that play into things too like for me that's i i'm i'm 
I'm an anxious parent for sure. I mean, there's lots of things I'm anxious about, but like this one, I got doesn't like if my kid had an has an and did when he was littler, I would have an accident at the grocery store. I that for some reason didn't embarrass me. But I, it's funny. I like I was talking about this with some parents on my Instagram, and one mom wrote to me a couple of days ago and was like. I mentioned this topic, the idea of your kid, like having accident in the grocery mm -hmm. store. And she wrote to me and she was like, okay, but honestly, this terrifies me. What would I do? Who do you, who do you talk to? What do you do? Do you bring paper towel? How do you? And so I put up a poll and asked people, what do you think you do? Do you bring paper towel? Oh, I saw that. Do you, yeah. Do you, yeah. Do you clean it up yourself? Do you tell someone who works at the store? And I, and I kind of thought, how oh, we don't really have these conversations. It's kind of it's embarrassing. It's taboo. Right. And for me, like, that's not that big of a deal, but for this mom, it, it is. And she was mm. like, honestly, this is the barrier for me. So I think factoring in like where you're at as a parent and what, what makes it hard for you is big. And like, if, if it stresses you out so badly, the idea of your kid peeing in a grocery store, that's fine. Like if it would make you feel better to bring in your grocery bag, some paper towels and some Lysol wipes, I think you should. I think you totally mm -hmm. can. But you're, for your kids learning, once they're at the stage where they're able to be, like this mom said, totally toilet trained at home, you do have to let them go to the next level. And the next mm -hmm. level is, hey, I wear underwear all day. I, it just has to happen. And they usually, they'll surprise you. They'll do better than you thought. But I always tell people, there'll be at least one time where you're just like, why are you peeing right now? No way. Oh my gosh. So kind of being emotionally ready for that is big. Like, like, and, yeah. and if, if being emotionally ready for that means I've got, I've got some wipes and some paper towel in my bag at all times, if that makes you feel better, that's fine. Um, but yeah, I think being consistent throughout the day, once you're having that success at home is it really is big. You just have mm -hmm. to like close your eyes and jump in and make the leap, bring change of the clothes, bring paper towel, whatever. By the way, the result of the poll was the vast majority of people said, I would just tell someone who worked at the store, hey, clean up in aisle four. So <laughs> I didn't really, I was like, I don't know. I think, I think I would just tell someone that at the store, but I wasn't really sure. So anyway, yeah, that's what, that's what the consensus was. Well, that actually did happen to me one time. <gasps> at Costco oh. and we're at the end of oh, this no. aisle and I don't think I had anything and I just <laughs> left oh <laughs> you have to I know it was terrible I thought oh my gosh I gotta get out of here because I guess I must have not have like I generally always carry like a little backpack that has wipes and a change of clothes I still do it even though I haven't had to use it in eons yeah. but it's just sort of my um I, I guess my security blanket, but yeah, yeah I totally. felt I'm trying to remember. Did I, I think I just, left. I was looking I for like a that. pylon or something to put around. Thanks for your confession, Mary. <laughs> Costco can handle it. But I think that, uh, that's like, yeah, that's funny. It's like, of course that's Murphy's law. The one day you needed your little backpack, you didn't have it, Yeah. but it, it happens. And like, uh, I, people are really understanding for the most part and want to help. And <laughs> there's, and I mean, it's hard like it depends right on because a lot of kids don't have those big flooding accidents where there is a puddle on the floor it's yeah. just like oh pants are a bit wet run back to the car no big deal but I, I mean if you if you know no my kid has huge accidents where it's like <laughs> there's people are gonna know then yeah I think yeah being able to do anything that makes you feel better about it is huge and also like I think parents can be 
worried about um, other people having to deal with their kids' accidents. So like, I just, oh, I don't want to send them to school in underwear yet because I don't want them to have an accident. And that's like, I, I, I understand how anxiety works. I can't just say, well, don't be anxious about it. Cause I, I know it's mm-hmm. really hard, right? If that's something you are anxious about, but I guess I would say like, you know, people who work in schools or in community settings, settings, they're professionals who work with kids. It's part of their job. They want to help your kid too. Usually you'd be surprised how motivated like a school staff is to make mm-hmm. this happen, happen too. Right. So, um, it's okay to inconvenience other people a little bit in service of this huge goal for your kid, especially mm-hmm. if they're people who work with your kid and they, they want your kid to achieve this too. They want their independence too. So basically the answer is just roll with it, go with it. You're going to have some accidents. Be like Mary and just run away. No, don't <laughs> do that. <laughs> well, I like the idea of finding the pylon. That's the only thing. What if someone slipped? But yeah, I think it's like just it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen in at some terribly inconvenient time. Know that and be ready. Like that's that's all yeah. I can really say. I yeah, I know it's really hard. So I don't know if that's <laughs> helpful, but geez, you can do it to this mom. I know he's ready, right? He's totally got it at home. He can do this. You can do this it's the next step. That's kind of all I can say. Yeah. And that's what I told her. I said, you just got to do it. (laughs) Yeah, totally jump in. Yeah. I, I mean, I know we're heading into the latter part of the school year, but do you have any suggestions or strategies on working with schools? I know you're just chatting about it and getting them Mm -hmm. on board with your child's toilet training. Like I know a lot of Ainsley's success was because her, her EA, excuse me, was totally on board. She goes, I've trained several kids. And in your opinion, do you think toilet training should be written into the IEP? Yeah, totally. I mean, it, it, I feel like it, it never used to be like, I, I found early in my career, it was more like, um, it was more common for schools to be telling parents, oh, your kid's not toilet trained yet. You really got to get on this at home. And I I found over the years, what I encounter more is schools going, hey, how can we do this with you? How can we support you on on toileting? Like we could make the school the main kind of place or I like the schools are more willing in my view to to jump in like for the most part, which I think is awesome. Yeah, you had like the angel EA for who was like, let's do it. No problem. No, not phased by accidents, ready to roll. Totally knew what was expected. Like that's the, the dream and not definitely not everybody has that. Mm-hmm. And the, the comfort of the, the sort of para professional who works with your kid, if they have one, it, it does factor in like that's, that's part of it for sure. But anyway, I think telling the school, if toileting is a big goal for you right away, I'd go in with that and say, Hey, can we put this on the IEP? What, what, how would we do that? And I mean, the kind of goals that um, we've written for IEPs when I've worked with school teams are things like, um, you know, student will wear uh, underwear to school at all times. And with the goal of by the end of the school year, you know, one accident per day maximum, something like that. Like Mm -hmm. that's a, and I think some schools would look at that and go one accident a day. Oh, we can't have that. And some schools would look at that and go, oh, that's awesome. No problem. Yeah, we could change and help with one accident a day. So it's like, it depends on your team and you've Mm -hmm. got to read the room a little bit on what's realistic, but going in and saying, hey, we really want to make this toileting thing happen um, can be, can be huge. And I have 
I, I find that um, when I do a more intensive toileting where it's the complete focus kind of, or a big focus of the child for like a week or, or two weeks or something like that, um, it, it can be harder to pull that off at school just logistically, like because a, a learner, an adult needs to be with the learner all the time, really, really focused. There might be times where you'd go, oh, it's not the best time for recess right now because I know there's, you know, a, a pee coming. So we'd like to wait five more minutes and push. And some schools are just like, we can't accommodate changing the recess mm -hmm. time. We can't accommodate changing the snack time or like, no, all the kids need to use this bathroom at that time. So if there are hard brick walls to, to doing a more intensive model, I would never say, nope, it's that or nothing. So in that case, I might work with schools to do that less intensive model, though the sort of long way on the videos that we'll um, link to is, is more appropriate for schools often. Um, so yeah, being a bit flexible about which approach it might be, but making it really clear that that's your goal is huge. I would say there in, in my work, um, there's a lot of variation on what goes on in schools and what schools mm. are able and, and willing to pull mm. off. And it ranges immensely. And, and you can always ask for more. Like I, I'm sure no one listening to your podcast is a stranger to advocating for their kid and, and having to push a little bit at school. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's something like I was saying earlier, I mean, usually the school it cares about this pretty much as much as you do like they really want yeah. to make this happen for, for your kid too and for them and for it, it you know toileting can be even a barrier to doing everything with the class like they're spending more time if they if they need their a diaper change they're spending more time out of the bathroom they're using a different bathroom and like they could mm -hmm. do be in the bathroom buddy system that all the grade ones do if they were toilet trained that sort of thing so schools are schools are on your side and um working with them on how to make that happen is is big there's been lots of um schools where the parents and the um support staff and maybe the resource teacher whoever is also involved would all like watch those toileting videos together i've heard lots about that and kind of make a joint plan where we're going to do this at home we're going to do this at school and we'll see what happens so there's there's a million ways it could look basically mm -hmm. but being really not don't don't see the toileting as a home job and not a school job because most schools are, are there with you now too. So mm -hmm. if, if the school, if anyone is saying to you in 2022, um, if they're, if the school staff are saying, Hey, you guys really got to get this toileting thing happening at home, then like, please give me their, give me their number. I'll talk to them. Cause I think that they should know <laughs> that they're, that's a, that's a pretty outdated view. Schools are much more willing to support toileting as, as far as I can tell. Um, and I think that you can, you can reply with, well, what are you doing about toileting? I, let's get that mm -hmm. in the IEP. I really want to be clear that that's a big focus for us. And, and it's also, it's like any instructional challenge, right? I mean, most parents aren't also you know, teachers or mm -hmm. psychologists or speech pathologists. They're like, I have not had to work on toilet training a kid with disabilities ever in my life. And this is my first time. And like you were saying, Mary, with, with Ainsley's EA, she was like, this is not my first rodeo. I've done this a bunch of times. Let me help. Like mm -hmm. often the school, they're going to have more experience and expertise than you as a parent. So when they mm -hmm. push it all onto the parents, sometimes I think, well, come on, you can do better than that. Like you, you've done this before. You've supported kids with toileting lots. If you're a, if you're at a school, probably. So um, yeah, I, but, but again, I, I want my, 
my main message to be, I do think schools are very supportive and willing. And if you, if you encounter somebody who's not, they're in a minority in my view and what I usually mm -hmm. encounter. So I think, um, yeah, putting it on the IEP, being clear that it's a focus is a great, great way to approach toileting with, with school for sure. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And as I said, it, it made a huge difference having Ronnie, who was her old EA, yeah. was, you know, she was on it and she said, yep, I can do this. No problem. So yeah. now one thing that I've been reading about a lot and it actually happened mm -hmm. with Ainsley is regression. And mm. initially I was like so devastated because, you know, we'd worked so hard for the school and then it's, but it started right around the time of the pandemic started, you know, not really that surprising, but again the good news was her ea like when we when they went back to school like i told her i said you know oh gosh ainsley's kind of regressed somewhat in the toileting she goes i'm not worried about it and she got her back on quick track quickly thank goodness mm -hmm. but if parents are you know experiencing regression in their kids like maybe they were completely toilet trained like ainsley what can they do if they are yeah signs of regression oh that's a very good question. Um, I think that, yeah, I mean, g going back to the things that worked the first time around is the biggest strategy to use mm -hmm. for sure. So um, it's kind of like it, in this, this regression, I would say, I think it does happen more in my observation with kids that I work with who have Down syndrome. I, I don't know why I'm just noticing like in my sort of sample of, of all the families that I work with, I probably get more recontact with, with families who have kids with Down syndrome. We're like, hey, something's, something's up. We're getting accidents again and we didn't have them for months. And I think that um, it's, it's just one of the main things is to not show your frustration. I should mm -hmm. say that first of all, because of course you're frustrated. Of course you are, right? It's like, what? You didn't have an accident for three months and then yeah, you peed at Costco or you, I rolled out the new rug and of course you peed. Like it's just Murphy's law stuff, right? So yeah. making sure, like I always tell people, be ready for accidents and practice a reaction. So I always, my favorite is to just say, let's get to the toilet. Cause that's what you want to do. You want to correct them by saying, this is where we actually pee. Remember we, so I just say, let's get to the toilet and try to just have the most neutral face you can and actually practice it in the mirror. So the line is ready when mm -hmm. it happens is the best thing to do. It feels silly, but it's like, let's get to the toilet. Cause you, your kid knows if you're exasperated and a mm -hmm. lot of kids that I work with, there's a little fun in that, right? There's a yeah. little, Oh, I got a really good reaction out of my mom. Her eyes popped right out of her head. Like that was kind of cool, um, especially <laughs> younger kids, right? Like it's so developmentally appropriate to want to get a rise out of your poor mom or dad. So I think that um, it's, yeah. And I say that affectionately and not like they're trying to manipulate you. It's just what happens. It's just what happens with kids. So I think um, making sure you react calmly to accidents and compassionately and kindly is huge. And just trying not to show your frustration, go scream into your pillow after or whatever. Um, <laughs> but I think, and then the, the thing on top of that is, yeah, like I was saying, add back what worked before. So okay. um, it might be, you know what, for a little while, we're going to bring back our treats, our rewards for successes. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm going to bring back my surprise bag I was using or whatever, or I'm going to go back to timed toilet trips. If I wasn't doing that before, I'm going to add more reminders. So usually you don't need to, you know, do a whole intensive 
toileting again. You don't need to start from scratch. You need to add back a few things to remind your kid what's up. And usually if, if you, a lot of the time, I should say, not usually, because sometimes it truly is mysterious when accidents come back, but it can be something like something changed. There's mm -hmm. a, a context change. Some kids, when they move to a new house, they start having accidents mm -hmm. again. They're just off or they start a new classroom, a new teacher, a new support worker. Something's just off, right, to, to where it was before. So just re-adding re some things that were helpful last time or, or when you initially did the training are really the, the keys. Yeah, the key factors for sure. Okay, that's good to know. And I just like to reassure the parents, like it we got it nipped in the bud right away. Like it, it, it yeah. happened and then, you know, went back to some of the tips that you gave and then her EA, it, it, it really was in no time. So thankfully, cause I, I was a bit worried there with, you know, of course, with the state yeah. of the world and everything at that time. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. That was, I remember Mary, you had asked me what, Hey, are you hearing this? What's up? Like I'm having this regression with Ainsley, what's going on? And we chatted a bit about it and then, mm as after you contact me, I started getting more and more people going, what's going on? My kids backtracking or something. And it totally, I think it was like COVID, COVID insanity. Like yeah. lives were changed, right? Like kids were so off their routines. And mm -hmm. um, sometimes that's one of the things that goes is toileting skills just get a little shaky in those moments. So yeah, just regrouping and doing what worked before is often the, the way to teach them, hey, we can still do this, we're on. But you being, you know, a calm and um, cool person about accidents is really helpful. Like that, that really shows them, hey, no big deal. Keep it going. We can do this. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, it does take some practice. I, I've, I've definitely had lots of practice. <laughs> yes. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and one of the, probably the most common question I see all the time, mm -hmm. and you're probably asked about it all the time is initiation, initiation, initiation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I've struggled with this with Ainsley and it's kind of, hit and miss but as i said like she tell does tell me a lot now but i still just take her at regular times but mm -hmm. i guess what can you tell parents yeah it's like it's a tough one because it's so different kid by kid so i mean the way to get them to initiate is going to be different based on you know, many factors about the child. It's not something that's as easy to say, hey, here's a resource to teach initiation mm -hmm. because there's too many individual factors that go into it. Um, often it is about, like we were talking about earlier, strength, strengthening their communication across the board and that'll help their initiation come up. Um, with other kids, you can use um, like a wetness detecting alarm, a chummy alarm. We mm -hmm. talked about those before, where if they wear that when they're kind of hanging out around the house, they'll, it'll um, start to beep if they start to have an accident. That teaches them to, oh, I need to just get to the bathroom and I need to pee. Mm -hmm. But some kids, I, I wouldn't use that. Like if it's, they're not right for everybody. So I really, it's one of those areas where I just can't say, here's the resource. It's, you've got to mm -hmm. do some sort of detective work around why they're not initiating and then try to help them build the skills that are, that are missing there or the explain, um, like put the sort of reinforcement in the right place. So um, you might need to start like, so if you have a kid who once 
in a while will tell you they need to pee, but most of the time we'll wait until you tell them. You might do something like, hey, you get a really special prize if you tell me when you need to go. Mm, so you're kind of okay. differentially reinforcing those things. For some kids, that makes it click. But yeah, this is one of the things I usually say, oh, this is a great topic to get like Zoom coaching with me on because I can ask you more about your kid and we can figure out a, a very specific plan. It's just yeah, it's one of those things that's it's really tricky and often very individualized when we when we target this for sure. Yes, okay. So yeah, I'm going to try I, you just kind of gave me a couple ideas that I want to mm. try things. So like I said she does often tell me she has to go. She doesn't necessarily physically go her to the bathroom herself, like mm -hmm. to the room. She does once in a while. I think that will be the next goal. But uh I mean yeah, because sometimes like she'll tell me she has to go, but then to actually physically, like she doesn't want to actually physically go, like go to the actual bathroom. Right. Yeah. So we struggle with that yeah. a little bit. But then when she's there, she'll go. So yeah. Yeah. So yeah, but I, I like the reward idea. So I, I have mm. a, a few ideas I think I can do about that, you know, around that. So and then of course the next big question that I is probably the next most commonly asked question is the nighttime training. And I know you've said previously, a lot of it is just due to maturity, but if your mm -hmm. child is day trained, has been for quite a while, but still has wet pull-ups in the morning, like what do you do? Like for me, I didn't really care that Ainsley wasn't nighttime trained. For me, the biggest deal was to be day trained mm -hmm. and it just, kind of happened. It just actually naturally happened for her, which has been awesome. We, I just finally just, you know, bit the bullet and we only had three little small accidents. It was nothing. Mm -hmm. And she's been dry ever since. Great. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's the ideal. And I, that is what I usually encourage people to do is just, just wait, like just keep doing pull-ups overnight until they're pretty consistently dry and then go for it and remove them. And like you said, kids will sometimes like, you know, sometimes can't be sure if they were maybe lying in bed when they woke up in the morning and having mm -hmm. a little pee in their diaper. That doesn't mean they're not successful. Like a lot of kids just do that when they're kind of groggy. But yeah, with Ainsley, it sounds like maybe she would start to do that and go, oops, <laughs> I figured mm -hmm. it out pretty quickly. Right. So that's, that's awesome. I think I, I do. I often tell people to just, just wait until like the bladder will catch up to the rest of the body usually by like age eight or nine though you might start going oh maybe we want to target this more more um directly and so yeah you can try just removing diapers and seeing what happens and just make sure you have a nice waterproof sheet on your bed whatever um but you also could use the chummy bedwetting alarm for that it's mm -hmm. really effective at getting kids to stop bedwetting often because it's a really sort of sensitive wetness detecting mm -hmm. pad you can put that's the one I usually use for bedtime is the big pad that covers the bed it's like a few feet by a few feet and as soon as he hits it it'll beat loudly and wake them up so just the experience of you know a couple nights in a row being woken when you start to pee it, it for most kids it'll stop them peeing they can get to the toilet and pee and it'll it trains their you know their brain to wake them up when they're starting to pee so it starts being before they actually start to see they'll wake up. So that's the best way to do it. But mm -hmm. I always just say, don't pressure, like don't, no pressure to work on 
bedwetting because of course like everyone in your house is going to wake up if you do that right because alarm's going to go off you're mm-hmm. probably going to have to go help your kid like you know change the sheets or get new pajamas get to the toilet and then everyone goes back to bed but you've just been woken by like a beep 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 yeah. night, which sounds like <laughs> torture to me so I don't know if you want to work on it but um it is it is very very effective but it's just it's just annoying right anything that messes with your sleep is ugh, annoying to work on so I like your approach Mary of just waiting a while and then going kind of cold turkey on the diapers because the bot her body was ready right like mm-hmm. she was she was ready so um but yeah there's a few few angles there because one mom I remember reading she was like waking her daughter up throughout the night to take her to the bathroom like what do you think of that method? yeah that's a good question it's it's it can be helpful but it's not as effective as the alarm because the alarm wakes the child up at the precise moment they're actually mm-hmm. starting to pee. So the physiological aspect of how it teaches them to wake up when they need to pee is like very beneficial. If you're waking up them up when you suspect they might need to pee, it's just not as precise. Yeah. So I think that it takes a really long time for the kids to start waking up on their own when they they need to be because you're not you're not going to hit the perfect timing the way an alarm can right right um so that yeah that's basically my my take on it is if your child is you know going to be terrified of the alarm uh, and and that's it's going to be it's going to wreak havoc on your household then totally you can do the thing where you wake them up at certain times during the night um but yeah, it's not going to be quite as effective, but you know, you've got to be mm-hmm. humane with these things too, just because it's effective. If, if your child's going to be terrified of it, it's not worth it. Um, right. So waking them up a few times in the night is possible too, for sure. Yeah, it can be effective, but much more slowly in my experience and what I know of the research. So, yeah. And so the chummy, like when Ainsley mm-hmm. was um, being toilet trained, so she had the little sensor, sh- which she wore in her underwear. So you're talking, there's an actual pad that you can put on the bed that said like a chummy yeah. pad. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. Yeah. There's like, there's a couple versions. So that one was, she used a wearable one, um, yeah. which I do like to use with kids during the day mm-hmm. who are just kind of having some leaks or not oh, a random accident here and there. And it helps them become more aware. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's just a tiny little sensor that's taped in their underwear. Yeah. But this is a big pad. It's like the size of a blanket that you put down on the bed. Um, that it, it's just more comfortable, I think, for when they're asleep. So they don't yeah. have this little thing clipped oh, on. Yeah. And agree. that they could they could mess with it or whatever too. And yeah. then so this is just it's like they don't even it's just this pad that even can go under a sheet. So I think okay. it's a better one for, for bedwetting. Yeah, we can link to that too for sure. Okay, yeah, I'm sure parents would be interested in that. So mm-hmm. Wow. We have covered a ton, Katie. Thank you so much. And like, is there anything else that you would like to add or? Yeah. I mean, we, we, we always, we always chat a lot. (laughs) I think we covered a lot. I think that, I guess I just want to say as a parent, it's so critical to remember that it's possible for your child to get it, like to really be hopeful and positive like I know that that is hard and at times especially if you've tried a lot and you're thinking Mm -hmm. it's my like but so many parents say to me like after their kid's been successful with toileting they'll say something like I thought my kid might be like the one exception who just wasn't gonna get it and it's Mm -hmm. like I think it's such a common thought where you're just like I can't see this working but you you kind of have to fake it till you make it and just Mm -hmm 
just be channel that positivity and believe they can do it. That's a huge, huge part of what ends up being a contributor to, to success. The more hopeful and positive parents are, I find that correlates to results. Like just being convinced it's going to work, convince yourself and make it happen, right, um, is big. But in that vein too, I don't think I emphasize this enough this time is sometimes like as a parent, there's some stuff that's just not for you and toileting could be it like it might be mm -hmm. the one skill area that just stretches your patience and you just it's not it's not something that you feel is in your skill set no matter how much research you do or if you watch those videos or if you take courses and you've armed yourself with everything you can you're just like I'm not gonna be able to do this it's also totally okay to get help like a lot of people over the years I've found have gone I just, I researched everything and I was ready to go. And then I thought, you know, mm -hmm. who'd be really good at this is like our, you know, support our respite worker or our, our EA at school who has a good relationship with our kid. Like my kid just listens to that person and we just don't have that relationship. So you also can outsource this. You can go, mm -hmm. I'm going to bring someone into my house and help me out and, and get my kid going. And then I'll take over once there's a little momentum, like that's totally fine totally okay if you can put that together and you have the resources no shame this isn't something that I think parents should have to do mm -hmm. alone it's really hard um, mm -hmm. we would not I think I said this last time we would not have a practice if this was easy if parents could easily do this on their own like we do work with a lot of kids where they're just their relationship, the dynamic that they have with their parent is that they're their parent. Like mm -hmm. they, it's not an instructional relationship in the way that the parent would instruct them on new, really challenging things. Like the kid's just like, you don't do that, mom. You're my mom. And I think when it mm -hmm. comes down to it, you're mom first, right? Mom is yeah. mom is your first job. Therapist is not your job. Toileting teacher is not your job. It's just, especially with COVID, I think parents have been expected to take on mm -hmm. so much, like mm -hmm. every therapy goal, like when therapy went online, what that meant was, hey, parents, you're therapists now, yeah. like we're going to do everything through you, right? So I think that that's, if that, if for you, that comes out in toileting, or that comes out in speech, or that comes out in, you know, feeding stuff, whatever you need to get help with, you can get help with. It's just a matter of finding the resources and the money and the time and all that. But don't, mm -hmm. don't feel like you have to do this because you're the parent and don't let anyone think that you have to do it alone, make you think you have to do it alone because you're the parent. So I think that's my final <laughs> word for today. So yeah. for you. Well, I can speak to that because I had tried a few times, not mm -hmm. very successful with Ainsley and which is one of the big reasons that I contacted you would mm -hmm. thank God. And, <laughs> you know, because it is a huge milestone and there were times I thought, is it ever going to happen? Like I, you know, you wonder and it's awesome, you know, and yeah. she has the dual diagnosis, you know, so I'm telling people it can happen. It definitely, yeah. you know, you can make it happen. So, you know, speaking of that, so if people would like to get a consult with you or get in touch with you, where can people find you? Yeah, I think I mentioned my Instagram a few mm -hmm. times. You must, you must follow me there. It's a very, <laughs> it's been fun. I've had it for about a year and it's really good way to just like quickly connect with people. Like mm -hmm. if you just have a quick question or you're kind of like, which method should I use? Here's a bit about my kid or that's a really good way. And I usually can get back pretty quickly. And I just, I also just post a lot of information on there. Mm -hmm. Like it's a good 
you know, breakdown of things I suggest, do's and don'ts and all that sort of stuff. So my Instagram handle is toileting101. So that'd be cool to follow me there. Also, all the same information is on Facebook if you're not an Instagrammer. If you search Blackbird Toileting Services, which is the name of our company, it should come up and all that information is like cross-posted if you don't like the Instagram format. Um, and yeah, it's a really cool little community. And otherwise, our website is blackbirdtoileting.com. So if you just get in touch with me with the contact form there, that's the best way to get started. And um, I can talk to you about how I could support you. So if you're in BC, we can work with you and your child directly in their home. We have a team that would come um, and give support. But if you're not in BC, we could give you like Zoom support and that sort of thing too. And a lot of people find that is super helpful. Um, so yeah, I'm really happy to connect if you just have a question or you think you want support or you're not sure what to do or whatever. Um, those are the ways to reach out to me. Wonderful. I am sure you're very sought after. Actually, I know that you're very sought after and I'm so appreciative of you coming on and, and giving us your expert advice and experience. Cause I know that parents, like I've had many parents comment that they're very thankful of the different podcasts, which are the most downloaded ones of mm. all. And, uh, so thank you. Yeah. For, for doing that. Like this is episode four, I guess we'll have you on every season, Katie, just to keep up Yay! with the trend. <laughs> Great. I mean, I always have more to say. Apparently we can, <laughs> we could do, I feel you and I could gab for a couple hours, but we'll do it next season again. Thank you. Yeah. I love being on. And it's so, again, it's so cool to connect with lots of people, um, because of, T21 mom. It's so awesome. So thanks, Mary. Yeah, I'll see you next year. Awesome. <laughs> next season. <laughs> thanks, Katie.